Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to uh, be joined by a rising star in our industry, and also sadly a Manchester City fan in uh, Julia Rainey of, of Sportsnet, Yahoo, everywhere. I know you're on TikTok as well. Um, thanks so much, Julia, for taking the time. I know uh, we were talking off air how uh, it's been hard for you to sleep with all the games in the middle of the night. So I appreciate you uh, taking the time and coming on. Yeah, it's no problem at all. Happy to be here. Well, I just want to kind of start about your career. And and um, obviously on the show, we we always ask journalists about their career. And I think you have a really, really fascinating and interesting story. Maybe just tell us a bit about how, how you got started and how it's been a kind of a whirlwind couple of years for you. Yeah, certainly. So to preface this, like you said, huge Man City fan, absolutely love City, love football, love everything to do with the sport um, and writing. So I went to when it was Ryerson University at the time. Now it's Toronto Metropolitan University um, in their creative industries program. And in there I studied a lot of journalism, sport, media, kind of the whole shebang. But then right when I graduated, COVID happened, there was no jobs, everything kind of went to heck. Nobody knew what they were doing. And as with everybody else, it was like super glum days, right? Yeah. So my brother and I, we watched the Premier League probably every single game all weekend <laughs> long. It's just, that's what we do. We just sit there and constantly have tea going, food going. <laughs> we're, we have British heritage, so like hence all of the tea. Yeah, yeah of things you know but just sitting on the couch there one day and my brother just jokingly it was halftime and he was like it would be so cool if you could write for Manchester City and I thought oh my god that's hilarious I'm a early 20s girl young woman from Canada I've written for sports teams but like nothing high profile basically fresh out of school um, but I had a decent amount of stuff on my portfolio and one of the things I do pride myself in is networking. I have so much confidence in the sense of I'll just reach out to people. And if I don't hear back or if it's a no, I don't care, but at least yeah. I try. So I found the head of editorial for Manchester City on LinkedIn and sent him an email through there and was like, hey, my name's Julia. This is what I do. Yes, I'm from Canada. This is my portfolio. I want to write for you. Goodbye, basically kind of thing just sent it out into the world and we all laughed and we just like Haha, whatever like it was fun <laughs> no, expecting nothing and then he actually replied and said sure let's hop on a team's call I was like no freaking way like my heart <laughs> was just racing and got up did that call he was like sure like I mean your experience is great you're a nice person let's give you some practice exercises for some games so I did that just like pretty basic match reactions mm -hmm. uh, statistical things kind of stuff that I could do from Canada and it was like very basic just for volunteer um, it didn't go anywhere obviously it was just to I guess test my skills yeah. and that went well. I put in the dues and then they added me to their freelance roster and got to report some games, talk to some players remotely, of course. But wow, it was very cool. And whenever I tell that story, it's kind of wild that people are like Manchester City is the first team real big gig that you had. And I'm like, yep, from Canada. And people are like, what's your secret? Like, what's your story? And I'm like, there's no secret. I'm the exact same skill level people, you know, repertoire as everybody else. But the difference was that I believed in myself enough to put myself out there. And that's what I always like to tell people is put yourself out there, talk to people, try. I mean, 
I'm very lucky. I'm not going to say I wasn't lucky because it hasn't Mm -hmm. happened, you know, in other circumstances where I've reached out for people uh, to people, but you never know. So that's kind of a snapshot of my story, but Mm -hmm. I still pinch myself every single day because I obviously love the team. Great experience. Learned a lot. I still learn a lot from them and it's led me to other opportunities for sure. No, I I think that's a great little bit of insight. And I think the what you mentioned there about just kind of shooting your shot and and who cares if you, you know, you try and like, you know, you, you what's the saying it's you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take or whatever. Right. Like that's kind of the mindset. And I think for yeah, young yeah. journalists, that's really what you have to be comfortable with. And, and clearly with your answer, you're quite comfortable with putting yourself out there and confident in your ability. And yeah, yeah so yeah. I think that's a great example for for young journalists and any journalists uh, coming up in the industry. I want to go to just kind of what you've been doing lately. Obviously, what's it been like for you now? Uh, like you're working at Sportsnet covering the FIFA World Cup. You're on the 90th Minute podcast with Caroline Salami. You're on uh, Yahoo as well. Just what's that been like? And And maybe give us a little bit of an insight into your writing process specifically. For sure. So... First of all, um, I will say caveat, I'm very blessed to be, you know, working and writing for some of these institutions that I honestly grew up looking at. It is a dream. That's basically a summary. Sometimes I get kind of speechless and it doesn't really feel real at all. And I see my articles up on, you know, the Sportsnet homepage and it doesn't feel real because it's so crazy. But I like to tell myself sometimes too, you know, I worked really hard. I made a lot of connections and I got all of those gigs through connections. So that's pretty wild. And that's, you know, another tip that I always give people to wanting to get into this industry. Networking and connections is so important. Somebody I used to freelance with in my undergrad knew somebody at Yahoo and that's how Mm. they connected me. And just one guy that I reached out to a while back, um, which a lot of you guys might know him in the Canadian soccer world, John Molinaro. Oh, yeah. He had show. some networking chats and now he works at Sportsnet and he recommended me for the Sportsnet FIFA Women's World Cup. Oh, wow. Cool. You never know. Caroline, I've been following her on TikTok forever. And I just reached out. I'm like, hey, I love your stuff kind of thing, you know, and she's like, I love your stuff. Let's chat. <laughs> and now we're we're like friends. We text. It's so yeah. weird because I'm yeah. like, Caroline, like I, I've literally watched you on TikTok for a year. And now we're hanging out like, when are you going to come visit me in Edmonton? So it's pretty (laughs) crazy. But to answer your point about what it's like, it's fabulous. It is busy. It's crazy busy. There's so much going on and working, obviously, for any institution, but for big names, you know, Yahoo, Sportsnet, um, you really have to be on your A game. So every day I have to be focused in the zone. Fact checking is huge because your name's on it. Sure. But you're writing for Sportsnet, you're writing for Yahoo, so it has to be legit work. So it's a lot of serious work. It's fast paced. Um, You don't really have time to think, honestly, but it pushes you to the limit and it's very fun. So I wouldn't trade it for a thing. Um, But writing process, it really kind of depends on who I'm writing for and what kind of piece that I'm writing. So for example, if let's say it's a profile article, an interview highlighting a cool athlete or a person, Um, I always start with an outline. So I'll do an outline of maybe key things that I want to get to sort of roadmap the story, but I'll have one general overarching theme. So is it their humanitarian work? Is it their underdog story? 
is it, I don't know, whatever, like hmm. whatever their main theme is yeah. and try to branch out from there. So that's what I do. And a lot of it sometimes comes from the interview because hmm. the interviewee will say cool things that maybe I didn't even think about. Yeah. Um, the hook, I start out my article with, this is just for profiles, usually a story, some sort of narrative to set the scene, draw people in and then go from there. But first draft, if we're talking more specifically about the process, it's like a word vomit. I don't even go back and look at it once. I just type, 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 get everything out. It's a disaster. It's garbage. <laughs> but all of the ideas are out. And then I work from it, you know, work from it there. Um, reorder things. Lots of editing. Obviously, I'm a very wordy writer. So I have to be mm. very conscious about trying to take unnecessary words out. Um, but that would be my profile writing process I guess and the match reports match reactions those are pretty straightforward in the sense of just following the timeline of the game of course the summary article um, sometimes for that there really isn't any process you're just writing as you go and kind of yeah. hoping for the best to be honest but a lot of experience just getting those reps in um, and again your overarching goal of the idea you're trying to get across in the back of your mind and I can't also like it's so important to be a really good editor and fact mm. checker um, because sometimes the editors, the people that you're working for, they're trusting you. They don't have time to do it if it's something that needs to get out really quickly. So you're kind of self-editing for those quicker ones as you go. But that would be a little bit of a nutshell. Not sure if that answered your question, yeah. but just just kind of have to take a stab at it and go from there. Right. Yeah, no. And, and you've had some pretty high profile interviews as well. And I want to touch upon that. You've had Kevin De Bruyne, which must have mm -hmm. been really cool for you as a City fan. Uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously, pardon me. I was like crying after. I was like, I have to be cool. I have to be professional. But then um, I can be professional after. <laughs> how was that? How was that interview for you? It's really good. So obviously just over Zoom because um, I'm in Canada, not in Manchester, which is really sad. I would love to be in Manchester. Um, but anyways, that's beside the point. But it was great. Super quick. Um, just him chatting with media, asked him a few questions. It was like a post game thing a while back. because so I just said to my editor, like, I want to do this, like make it happen. So it was really on like a FaceTime call. Basically. Oh, wow. So I'm FaceTiming KDB. Like, this is so weird. Um, do you have his number me, now? <laughs> oh my god no I wish <laughs> it was blocked <laughs> but uh no honestly when you I find you get into these moments you'd be surprised how chill you actually are yeah. it's more the after effect that you're kind of like ah. it's like a wave and it kind of hits you a For bit sure after. it was yeah. good it was like three questions um these players though you have to remember like they're well versed in media they've mm -hmm. been doing these interviews forever they know exactly what you want the thing is though you just can't ask dumb questions. So it's that prep work beforehand. That's really important. Mm -hmm. And and how did, like, what's your prep work for an interview? Like you also interviewed Jordan Heidema and I wanted to ask you a bit about that. That was for on sure. Yahoo, a really good feature, but just like, what's your prep work for interviews? It uh, kind of depends if it's a match versus a profile. So I'll just do like the, the match really quick. Basically, mm -hmm. if it's the match, I usually pick one key moment in the game that the player did and ask them about that, how it made them feel, their process, something a little bit more emotional than a yes or no question. Yeah. Because if you ask an athlete a yes or no question, they will give you yes or no. Yeah. And which I'm sure you know, Alex, interviewing yeah. lots of people yourself. Yeah. But then it's like, you have nothing to work on. You have a word. You need to have a, a story for your article, right? So 
like to try to get something like that and usually something about the opponent coming up so it's doing that research before about who they're maybe they're playing next what it means for the league table that kind of thing and maybe a general overarching question about another player who had a contribution so it's really just during the game paying attention to things and mm-hmm. then trying to draw those comparisons um profile wise so yeah the Jordan Heidema article was fabulous I love speaking to her she's an absolute she's a wonderful person she's mm-hmm. so sweet and she's been working really hard out there for Canada too unfortunately no goals yet but I've been really impressed with what I've seen from her. But Jordan's story, basically with the editor that I worked with, we just talked about what we want the overall, like I said, theme to be. Mm -hmm. And for her, her story that we wanted to share was essentially her, you know, coming into Team Canada as such a young player, sort of being dubbed the heir apparent to Christine Sinclair. Of course, no one will ever beat Sinky, but... Meaning to clarify before all the haters come at me for saying that she is Christine Sinclair because she is not and she will never be. She's taking her place on the pitch, not her place for, I guess, goals, contributions, that kind of thing. Anyway, so her story was basically her road to the World Cup. So it was essentially going through a timeline and of her life to get to the World Cup. So from there, it was like I had to do the research. Where did she grow up? What was the first club she played in? Who were her teammates that maybe I could talk to? So it was asking just questions about that journey. Um, You know, PSG was a huge one. What was it like at PSG? So journalism process for those is basically a lot of just background research on people because you want to go into these interviews educated. You don't want to ask them a dumb question or an inaccurate question because they'll be like, you're wasting my time, you know? (laughs) So it's tons of research. I make it really chatty though. I always kind of start with like an icebreaker, kind of like make mm-hmm. them laugh because Wait, what's your icebreaker? What, what, what's oh, the... usually either like just dumb questions. Like what's your favorite food? Tell me about the best food you've ever had. Okay. And they always laugh or like what's a hidden talent or something maybe that people don't know about you. And okay. yeah, I never like publish that, but it makes them no. laugh. Just kind of makes them chill mm-hmm. when And when these athletes, these people, you're having a conversation with them, that's when you get the best answers. And also as well, I always have a pad, some pens, paper, whatever near me, because I actually only prepare about half of the questions for the time. And then I ask points about what the athlete said. Um, Can you expand on that? Can you clarify what was it like doing that? Because you never know what you're going to say. So I always like to leave some space for that because usually an athlete will just go off. That's when you get cool stories. Yeah. Um, very cool though to be able to interview some of these players and then I interviewed Bev Priestman for that article as well mm-hmm. Stephanie yeah. Bay so it was very cool to do that and it's honestly a privilege to be able to tell their stories and to mm-hmm. be the one that you're trusted you know you're trusted to share um mm-hmm. so that's very cool and and with that like what's maybe your favorite story that you've ever written or like mm-hmm. something that you're like the most proud about oh my gosh that is so difficult (laughs) I would say actually maybe one that I did a couple months ago for the Toronto Stars the first one I did for the Toronto Star Mm -hmm. and it was about the Canadian women's national team and their fight for equality and what that means for the future of young girls in soccer in Canada and while it maybe wasn't the most like high profile interviews that I did I would say it was probably the most important because as a woman in sport and especially with the Canadian women's national team I feel like it's my duty to share these stories 
to be part of the conversation. Um, I didn't want to be silent about that. And I wanted to say like why this fight with the Canadian Federation mattered. So mm. I think that was a really special one for me just because it was such an important topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and with that, like what what's it like to be in in the soccer media industry? And it's very much male dominated and very much more so focused on the men's game than the women's game. Like what does mm. that feel like to you? And you just mentioned it. Like what does it mean to you to 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 be on like the 90th minute and just talk about the women's world cup or women's issues or or women's soccer. Oh, it's, it's such an opportunity, quite honestly. I know that the industry is very male dominated, but I don't like to put the label, I think necessarily on it because I don't, I don't want to have that be the narrative. I want the narrative to be Mm -hmm. like everybody is part of it, even though it quite obviously is male dominated. I just don't go into my day thinking about that. I don't go into something thinking I'm the woman in this room and that's yeah. weird. Um, so I just kind of like to ig- ignore that part of things, you know, but not ignore it like in a bad way, but in a good way, in an empowering way, you mm-hmm. know? So I think it's so important that the Women's World Cup is here right now because we are seeing more female journalists on air than ever. We are seeing women's sport on the world stage. Um, It's honestly just very freeing that all Mm -hmm. of these eyes are now being on women's sport. Finally, it's now being the most successful it's been in a very long time. And I just think it's so exciting. Like, it's not really like a intense answer I'm giving you, but it's like, finally, like, why hasn't this come already? And I actually did, speaking of when you mentioned TikTok earlier, I saw a TikTok this morning And it was of this dad and he was basically saying that he was raising a young daughter and they always watch hockey, the NHL on TV. And the daughter turned to the dad and was like, oh, dad, like, do are girls allowed to play hockey? And the dad was just dumbfounded. He's like, what do you mean? Yeah, of course they are. He's like, well, I never see them on TV. So I I genuinely this little girl who was like three, she's like, I actually didn't think that girls were allowed. And I'm just like, wow. So to me, it's about being part of this conversation for visibility. Um, mm. So people, girls especially, can grow up and say like, okay, sure, we can play too. We can be on the TV. Will it ever be 100% equal? Probably not, realistically. But if we can, maybe not for a long time. Hopefully we'll get there. But it's going to take a while to change this narrative and that's okay. But it just feels like a privilege to be part of it where do you feel the the game's headed because it does feel as though we're hitting a little bit of a a barrier that's breaking through in terms of the women's game like obviously the euros last year i know you're english i'm english as well obviously that was a success and and just so much attention so many people watching and i know i was reading something today that the women's world cup is made like the most amount of money it's ever made and they've finally broken mm-hmm. even in terms of expenses and you're, I think it's the most amount of attendance at the t- tournament ever by like significant amounts. Like, are we, how close are we to kind of a, a breaking point where the women's game maybe explodes in your mind, Julia? Totally. I think that's a fabulous question. And I love that we're chatting about it. Um, but you're absolutely right. First of all, about the Euros, huge success last year. And the increase, like the growth that women's football saw, especially in England and the UK was insane. And Over there, of course, well, you know, the Premier League, all of those big, fantastic leagues are top. Women's football now, in England especially, just from the work that I'm seeing, um, 
their goal is to get equal coverage. And I think that's so important because visibility is huge. Like people just don't have access to these mm-hmm. games. And I think that is the key issue is it's not necessarily this issue of men's versus women's like women's isn't as good. I think we've kind of eliminated that yeah. through the world cup. We've seen some fabulous, fabulous moments. It's more the fact that just the women's sport is not visible enough to get those eyes and to get that interest, you know, even just for talking about stats, things that we've seen, I saw on Twitter the other week too, that the Australian women's national team has sold more yeah, kits. I saw that too. Yeah. As like, then the men's did for the Qatar world cup. And I was like, First of all, Australian queens, like I love that, but <laughs> it's just this idea that we need more visibility. And I think the breakthrough, if you're talking about breakthroughs, will come when there's a commitment on media networks to at least show more women's sports. The Women's Super League, huge. We can't watch that on TV. No. Where do we watch that? Unless I we pay it's... for an additional channel on Sportsnet now. But who's? if you're not a fan, you're not going to do that. Because if you want to watch soccer, you're already paying for DAZN and Fubo. So mm-hmm. I just think even places like DAZN or Fubo, I think DAZN might get some more women's sports. I but they were they the only place we could do, watch Women's Champions League. I believe but it's just, so. Yeah, yeah, this visibility, even put it on regular TV that you don't have to pay extra for. It doesn't have to be every game. But I think more visibility, more things in the news, definitely more advertising and that's what's I think going to be the breakthrough and I think we're slowly seeing it mm-hmm. and and what do you think the impact not just of that but like I, I I was drawn today watching the TSN's coverage and it's three women it's it's Lindsay Hamilton and um Claire Rustad and I think Miss uh, I forget her first name but Moscato uh yeah. the former player um on the women's team and obviously Amy Walsh friend of the show amazing is doing the color like what impact does that have and even you and caroline like more people in the industry like what impact does that also have in terms of the stories that are being told and just the visibility of the game itself from a woman's perspective totally i just think seeing these women who are doing fabulous i think the coverage tsn is doing is amazing on there doing their thing being interesting it's sort of like the hope that oh i can do that too mm-hmm. like if i want to be a journalist i can go do it. I can be on TV. Who's to say that I can't be where they are? Um, I think they're such role models. So they're, they're fabulous. I love Lindsay. I've interviewed Lindsay before. I think she's so cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just this idea of we're not going to be silent. And I think it's like a very empowering thing. You know, women are not going to be silent. We, We deserve our place too. And it's fabulous. Will we ever see a fully female men's world cup? like broadcasting perspective mm-hmm. no, probably not <laughs> probably yeah, not probably. that's okay but maybe then if the next world cup there's one more woman on that panel other than janine becky that would great. be amazing oh she was so good and she yeah, brought she fabulous was. things to to the show but i just think it's really this idea of just people need to be seen the women are now being seen and it's going to start a movement like i totally think that even increase in journalism programs and sports journalism um enrollments for the tmu program they have way more women than they did in the first um year of the program and i just think that's so cool and like i know i've said visibility a million times but i truly think it's that visibility because Mm. it's this confidence that there's a place for you due to leading by example and and with that i want to bring it back a little bit to to here in Canada, obviously, uh, Diana Matheson is is leading the charge in terms of Project 8, which is 
hopefully a, a domestic league here in Canada by 2025. Mm-hmm. Although I've heard some rumblings from guests and others that 2025 might not happen, but hopefully there's a domestic league. What what would that mean to just the game here in Canada to finally have a a women's domestic soccer league um, for the first time ever? Yeah, I think it's a moment for growth. It's a moment for opportunity. It's a moment for, you know, female players who maybe want to play pro, but they don't want to go overseas. Um, It's certainly an option to stay closer to home. And when you think about it, if we're going to have all these teams pop up across Canada, that's X amount. That's probably, I don't know, a couple hundred more players who get to play pro and maybe who then can develop to become into the Canadian national system eventually, like who knows? Um, it's also really expensive to go abroad um, and play soccer as well. The packages, like funding, I mean, anywhere, like isn't great, but a lot of people, yeah, they want to play pro, but they can, it's not realistic. So now there's a little bit more of an option. There's a little bit more of an opportunity. And I think this idea too, of having this new league in Canada is also amazing because it's kind of like Canada saying like, we believe in you and mm-hmm. you're important enough to have a league. Yeah. Like the Canadian Premier League came in, what, like five years ago. Um, and a lot of people are like, well, where, where's the women's league? So it's kind of like now it's saying we're, we're here too. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's going to be awesome to grow so many more players. And, you know, Canadian women's national team players or players who are playing abroad, they're probably going to come back and play for some of these teams too. And that's so cool because then now people across Canada finally have a chance to see their heroes play and they can go out to the stadium, have fun, see some women play, have a good time. I just think it's going to be awesome. 2025 really isn't that far away when you think about it. So if it doesn't happen quite at that time, oh, well, but I'm really excited for when it actually comes because I think it's going to be awesome. And and with that, obviously, the World Cup, Canada played today. You were covering it. You already had a show about uh, a recap of, of Canada playing Ireland, and then they came back and won 2-1. They, they had initially in their first game uh, drawn uh, nil-nil against Nigeria. Just what do you make of their performance, and, and what did you make of the game today, which felt mm-hmm. like as a Canadian fan, I was on Twitter, and it just felt depression. <laughs> it felt like we were all depressed for about 35 minutes and I was upset so... and mad and angry yeah. and 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 then it kind of turned around. So, just uh, what do you make of the the whole uh, the the game and and their performance? Sure, I was very stressed. <laughs> I'll tell you, very very stressed. Ireland, I think, is a lot of like it's a team that a lot of people, if they don't watch the game, they don't know much about or they underestimate because they're like, oh, it's Ireland. Like it's not some of the heavy hitters. Like it's not USA, Brazil, or Spain or Germany or whatever. Um, no, they are super aggressive. It's in their DNA just to be relentless. They don't give up. Our star player, Katie McCabe, is absolutely outstanding. I honestly think she was probably the best player of the whole match. I think she won man of, or the woman of the match, sorry. And, yeah, and yeah, they lost. Sure. So. Yeah. I know it's that which is a, such an accomplishment, you yeah. know, for Katie. But yeah, really stressed. Ireland came out super strong. Canada was rough on defense. I was very stressed about the defensive breakdown that was going on. Um, and of course, McCabe scoring a goal like in 40, like four minutes, the fastest goal of the tournament. So major kudos to her. That was sweet. Um, I don't think personally the first goal though, I don't think anybody was expecting that to actually go in. Um, should there have been like probably Jordan Heidema should have been on the post. Maybe Sheridan should have been a bit more ready, but I don't think anybody was actually expecting that to go in, including Katie herself. I don't think she was expecting it to like, 
curve in exactly but it was class like it was sweet I have nothing bad to say as a Canadian (laughs) of course um just looked very disjointed there was no free-flowing football and I would say my biggest concern was the space and the gaps between the transition from the back line to the midfield they the I don't know it just wasn't there the passes weren't there they weren't finishing those touches to each other and it was just very organized and disjointed and then coming up to the end of the first half everybody was just literally angry screaming at our televisions (laughs) and I was like I don't even know what I'm going to write about Caroline and I were like oh my god (laughs) we're like this is our moment because it's a must-win situation for Canada in my opinion so and I feel like Julia Grosso just came on there right at the end it was kind of like screw it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just gonna shoot. And we have to remember, guys, like it was pouring rain. Yeah. In Australia. And it's hard to see on the TV, but these players are drenched. So I'm like, the fact that they were even able to just keep it together was amazing. So yeah, obviously that goal bringing Canada in was a huge momentum shift. Um, huge momentum shift. Didn't really see too much from Jesse Fleming either in the first little bit. So I'm happy that she kind of turned it up a little at the yeah. towards the latter end of the game because I truly think she's a playmaker same with Julia Grosso um but yeah it was a very stressful first half I've never seen Canada that disoriented it's like they had no communication it was very wild so Beth Priestman obviously gave them a great talking to at <laughs> half she made some changes I think it was great bringing in Sophie Schmidt of course Chloe Lacasse Christine Sinclair Schmidt fabulous just the way she was able to thread that ball into adriana leon obviously to get the goal and i love adriana i think she's so cool and you could see when she scored that goal for canada what it meant and the passion and just she fired up her teammates 100 canada looked like a completely different team coming into the second half they looked like an olympic gold medal winning team which mm-hmm. they are obviously and they look like champions. And I think if Canada plays with that tightness, that aggression that they had in the second half, they can make such a deep run um, in this tournament for sure. Well, so it was a whirlwind of emotion. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I definitely, I think that that 1-1 goal really changed the whole pace of the game and, and well, just how the yeah. game kind of went in. And they even took a little bit of momentum after that, played a bit better in like the two minutes they almost scored. I think... She almost scored more. Maybe that was before, but uh, yeah. I, I, what do you think? What do you think changed for Canada? Was it as simple as just a goal? A, a, I mean, it wasn't. It was a dirty goal. It was a garbage goal, if we use a hockey term. Um, in, in the Grosso goal, like what what changed in in the second half, and maybe what can Canada take from their second half performance that looked, as you mentioned, like an Olympic uh, mm-hmm. champion uh, performance into the game against Australia. For sure, I I think. I guess what changed was their belief. Quite honestly, I don't think it had really anything to do with their skill. I'm a firm Mm. believer that mentality is more important sometimes than skill. I know I'm going to get a lot of haters for that too, but all of these players are good at the world cup. We can't deny you're, you're a great player because you're on this Canadian women's national team, but what's going to take you to that next level. And where we really saw that shift, it was The whole team finally had a belief. They played as one unified team versus then 11 individual players on the pitch. So I think that's the difference we saw in the first half. Lack of belief, lack of communication, more individual play. And then in the second half, we saw tons of confidence, a unified team communicating, looking for other players. 
And it's as simple as that. I mean, it's not simple on the pitch, but that's a huge, huge, huge um, thing to happen. So I think now moving into Australia, which is going to be a very tough one. Sam Kerr has been out with injury, but she's projected to be back. She's probably the best striker in women's football. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be good. But I think Canada is coming in now with that adrenaline, with that fire again. I think it took them a little while, honestly, to settle into the tournament. There's a lot of pressure on them being Olympic champions. It can be very nerve-wracking coming into a first game um, of the World Cup. Of course, you're on the world stage. But I just think they need to carry that momentum and they need to start communicating more, playing as one team and taking more shots. Like, they just need Mm -hmm. to... This is exactly what my mom would say, but like kick the ball. Like, you know what I mean? Like Jordan Heidema, for example, she usually only takes tap-ins or headers to score her goals. She had a nice shot today. Exactly. But we saw her in the second half take one from distance. I've never seen her do that. So I was like, cool. We just need to take those opportunities, make them happen. I think Canada has a lot of depth. So we saw that with Sinclair, Lacasse, Schmidt, you know, Zdorsky, all of those players. So I just think carrying that momentum is going to be huge. Who's kind of Canada's best 11? Because obviously Fleming missed the first game. Sinclair yeah. came off the bench. Schmidt has been coming off the bench the past two games. I thought she's looked really, really good off the bench. Like, is that something where Canada continues to to bring like Schmidt and maybe Sinclair now off the bench? And it was the first time she was, I think I saw a crazy stat. It was the first time she wasn't starting for Canada since the yeah. 1999 World Cup, which is just a ridiculously cool historic mm-hmm. stat but what like who's kind of Canada's best 11 if you could maybe map it out for us for sure so obviously Kaylin Sheridan in the back um she had her moments today but we're all human so I believe in her she for San Diego wave won the um 2022 NWSL goalkeeper of the year award she's fabulous she's also very commanding out there so I love her in you know, the guarding the net. So in the back line, I think we've got Vanessa Gilles, Kadisha Buchanan, Ashley Lawrence, and Jade Riviere played really well on the wing, I thought today. Um, usually Alicia Chapman's in there as well. So I don't really know who I prefer over okay. those two. I Is think that a matchup dependent? I think probably matchup dependent. You're right. I, I like Chapman for her ability to be, she's a little bit more physical. She's a little bit more aggressive um, versus Jade Riviere. I think she's, she's a smaller stature, so she's less imposing, but she's a bit more crafty than Alicia. So kind of depends on matchups to me for sure. So midfield um, Quinn, I really like Quinn. So I thought they were amazing today. I thought, especially in the first half when Canada felt all over the place, uh, Quinn felt like the only player that was steady and, and calm and and really mm-hmm. was re- had really good ball retrieval skills. I mean, that's what they're known for. But um, that's uh, I, I thought Quinn was really, really good today. I agree. And I don't think people maybe focus on Quinn as much because they focus on some of the other big names. But you're right. Quinn is stable. She's very comfortable. She um sorry. They provide that calming presence and um you know, Quinn was also fabulous in the Nigeria game. I think she was one of the best people out there for sure. So I think Jesse Fleming will still play. And I think Julia Grosso will get the start. I think they, um, what I, think do you make, I know you guys talked about it on your podcast with, with Caroline, yeah. but what do you make of Grosso 
coming off uh, at at halftime because I mean she basically okay, scored yeah. the goal and also I thought as you guys talked about I thought she was her and Quinn were maybe the two most down like the two best players in the first half so it was very weird but Schmidt had the assist seven oh, minutes totally. after half so mm-hmm. um, the 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 change uh, definitely made sense and after the fact yeah I think I would love I think yeah we mentioned this on the podcast so definitely check that out a shameless plug uh go on the 90th minute kickback podcast <laughs> but I think it I want I would love to know what Bev Priestman's motivations were because as a player like Julia Grosso basically making that goal happen for Canada changing the energy doing that shift and then get subbed off I don't understand it's weird to me I would love to know why obviously Bev is an amazing manager so she would have had a reason um I would love to know what that is just because I'm curious but I wonder what Grosso felt about that too because she just had this fabulous moment and then being subbed out I don't know it was sort of like I was worried because it's like is the momentum going to change now what's that going to be like but thankfully it did not. So all is good. <laughs> um, but I don't know, maybe Bev just wanted some more depth in there. Maybe Bev wanted some more experience. Like Julia Grosso is really young. She's 22. I think a lot of people have to remember that. Like she's such a young player out there. Um, so who knows? There would have been a game plan to change it up. Obviously it worked. But then same with Adriana Leon. She comes in, she gets a goal. She a minute later has another outstanding shot and then gets subbed off. Albeit it worked out fine. I just would love to know what the motivations are. And I wish Alex, I could tell you an actual answer about that, but I really can't. (laughs) So that's okay. I I think Priestman likes to use some of these veterans like Sinclair and Schmidt as game-changing subs. Essentially, I don't think they'll get the start. I think players like Grosso are better starting versus coming in as a sub potentially right now and maybe it's a development thing I don't know Bev Mm -hmm. has to think about the future of her team as well Schmidt is retiring after the women's world cup Sinclair like she's 40 there's no way (laughs) like if she has another world cup in her I will be astounded I I think it's maybe the Olympics but uh but that's a good point maybe the Olympics but that's only a year away so it's not it's not four so I don't know I still think Bev's going to keep that uh, midfield. And I think Fleming's going to be the new captain, of course, when Sinclair goes um, up front. I love Adriana. I've mentioned that I'm really biased. I don't know. I just think she's a really crafty player. And it was really nice to see her. She was a little quiet, obviously, in the first half, but then step in and be huge. Scoring her first World Cup goal was fabulous. Um, who else do we have? Jordan Heidema. Well, she's been criticized for maybe not finishing or actually getting the ball in the net she's always there she's just got to work on her timing um she's working really hard on the pitch so I genuinely think once she nails down maybe some more of those technical details she'll be really good she's really tall also as well um really uses her aerial presence in the box so that will be big and who else do we have up front oh my god I'm drawing a blank we had uh Vienne and then we had Lacasse oh yes I, I'm 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 on the Cass Island. I I every time yes. I watch her, I I always really like her. I think she should be starting. She's really smart. She works off the ball. Like as soon yep. as she came in the right side of the pitch, like Canada was just flowing up and down that side. So I really like her, and um, I'm like a lot of Canadian fans. I'm new to her because she's been in Portugal for 
uh, a couple years, but I, I really, I really like watching her. So I'm, I'm on that island. Totally. I would have to agree with you. I think she's fabulous. And I don't, I don't know exactly know what league this in, this was in, if it was like the champions league or something like that. The she was in the champions league with um, Benfica. I know that. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the champions league. Anyways, she had one of the, she was one of the most prolific goal scorers of the whole champions league. And Benfica didn't even make it that far. So I just yeah. think that's crazy. She needs to be given more of a chance. We'll see. She's getting minutes at Arsenal now. So I think that will be huge for her development as a player. And maybe we'll see more of her. I mean, Adriana Leon's getting up there too. So I don't really know. We'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. And and with this team, before before I go to some other storylines and, and some fun stuff, like what, what do you think Julia would be a good kind of result for Canada at this tournament. I think a lot of people would say probably prior, maybe quarterfinals, maybe semifinals. Like what what would be a good kind of a run at this tournament for for the women's team? For sure. That's a, a great question because it's so hard to know. I think we've also seen lots of dark horses at this tournament so far. So man, it's kind of all over the place. I would love to I don't want to say winners or or anything yet. I still want to think about that. Okay. I think Canada okay. will be I would love to see them in the uh, the semifinals. I think they can make it to the semifinals for okay. sure. But I don't know what four teams would be involved. Right now, I'm kind of thinking, I mean, I'm obviously Canadian, so I'm biased. But I would love to see Canada. I'm very biased as well. I'd love to see England. But I don't know mm-hmm. if they'll do it because they have a lot of injuries. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. I think right now, Spain's looking class. So is Brazil and Germany. And low-key Japan um yeah I know you guys have talked about Japan so that's what that's like six teams yeah (laughs) not four so I don't know we'll see but then some random team could come in and take the whole show I would love to see Canada though get to the quarters uh sorry the semis I think they can do it I think they have that mentality they've just showed that they are not going to give in against Mm -hmm. Ireland today so I think that'll be a good result for them do you know who they'd, I, I'm just searching this right now as we speak. Do you know who they'd play in the next round if they were to uh, oh. advance to the round of 16? Like, cause I'm pretty sure, I think I heard that they would play um, uh, the English and, and just for you, what would that mean for you? Who would you cheer for if they played oh, the God. <laughs> round of 16, if that were to be the, uh, the, the, oh. the matchup? Oh, Alex, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I am almost certain that they'd play England if England. I think so. Yes. So if England comes first and Canada comes second, if one of the, if neither of them are either first or second, so one or two and uh, either, and they're opposing each other, then uh, they'd be uh, playing each other in the next round. So who, who, oh, what, what would happen in the rainy household? I, I think, oh my gosh. I think we would probably ultimately being Canadians still okay. want, to, I mean, we have British heritage, of course, yep. but being on Canadian soil, I think, I feel like we have a duty to say Canada. Okay. You know, and our hearts would be very happy for Canada. I mean, we'd be happy either way. One of our teams would be going through. So it's, it's a good time. It would be sad to see them both go. Um, when it comes to who will win though, I don't know, because Canada and England actually have very similar issues. Canada and England have very similar issues in the sense of lack of goals, but top quality players who can make it happen when they need to. So 
I don't know. We'll have to come back on the pod afterwards and talk about it. Yeah, yeah, for (laughs) sure. Yeah, we need we need a when when they play each other, we need a post game uh, reaction pod (laughs) for sure. Actually, I have a funny story. Um, I'll say this quickly, but when I was a kid, I had a a friend of mine's dad was half Italian, half French. And so they played each other in the 06, obviously the infamous Zinedine Zidane uh, headbutt in the finals. And he didn't want any of his family to know. So he hit himself. He went like locked himself in the basement and watched it. So no one could see who he was cheering for. So maybe that's something you need to do. Oh my God. Just lock yourself in the basement and just (laughs) no one knows who I'm cheering for. And when England or Canada win, then you come out and you're just, you're a blank blank slate and no one knows. yeah okay don't let anybody know your next move i mean i live in a one-bedroom apartment by myself so <laughs> no one's watching me well, which is a, a very good thing sure. i've been asked that before and i'm like if i say england though somebody's gonna come for me so <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i love them both yeah. yeah um with that what like other than canada and i mean you can t- touch upon england if you want but what what have been your other maybe what's been your other favorite storyline of the world cup if you could pick one so far that isn't canada related sure this is hard because there's so many fabulous ones and i think this women's world cup is amazing because we're seeing so many fabulous storylines but actually, I think one that really hit me was the other day, and it has nothing to do, well, I guess it sort of does, but a little bit more of the human emotional side of things mm-hmm. rather than being on the pitch. But it's actually Columbia. So 18-year-old um, Linda yeah. Castillo, I just have to give her like the biggest props ever. And I don't like, people need to know about her. She's fabulous. At age 15, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. And ovarian cancer is horrific. It is one of the rarest i mean all cancer is horrific i'm not gonna but no no disclaimer but ovarian cancer especially at that young um of age is so rare and it's very difficult to get through but now she's cancer free she's 18 years old which is still crazy feels like she's still a baby (laughs) you know i don't remember what i was doing at age 18 (laughs) but she's now representing columbia and she was the first player ever like in the history of the world to play in three world cups in one uh one year so like mm-hmm. the U different age groups. Um, and she scored in all three of them. Wow. And she scored in wow. for Colombia a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Colombia's first ever World Cup, first ever goal for her and her country. And she's such an inspiration. So we'll have to see. But I think it's those storylines that are honestly more impactful than the some of the maybe the big wins you know Ari Borges obviously had an incredible game for Brazil scoring the first hat trick she had an outstanding back heel assist I think that was a great great mm-hmm. game to watch but I think it's these stories that are like really touching to see mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. well I'm gonna go from that as best as I can to uh Manchester City which is <laughs> for sure I think that's the best segue because it wasn't a good one um yeah so <laughs> Uh, with with Manchester City, how do you feel about winning a fraudulent treble? And uh, and with Mara's gone, Gundogan gone, how do you feel about next year? And how worried are you about United? <laughs> oh wow, this is a very loaded question, Alex. Yes, We're is. gonna have to unpack. <laughs> ninety nine over twenty three all day. Yeah, that's... no twenty three over ninety nine. <laughs> okay, no, I'm not gonna say that. I'm gonna say they are both outstanding achievements. Yeah. for both teams i'm just gonna leave it at that there you go <laughs> actually there you genuinely go. though the 99 team i can't even 
yeah. say anything bad about for sure. Um, the treble, obviously a huge moment for Manchester City. And City sometimes has this tendency to sort of lose games right at the end. So I'm glad I that, that. I missed that. I, yeah. Oh man, I've oh, sorry about that, Alex. Not this year, but <laughs> maybe um, oh wow. We all thought we're on the edge of their seats versus Inter Milan in the Champions League final. We're like, boys. Come on. It was one of those like, games that they always lost. The, 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 exactly. The tight... Exactly. And Milan could have tied it up at the end. Ederson had a few very clutch saves. Sometimes I'm iffy about Ederson, but he showed up. So I'm going to give him props. He had some really fabulous reflex saves. Manchester City, obviously, I think I am biased, but they have a fabulous team for the players that they have on the pitch, but also for their team mentality. They have such a winning mentality. They are all friends. They have each other's backs. Hardly ever, like never any drama. And I think that's key for a lot of teams. Um, we saw United, obviously Cristiano Ronaldo, that drama. That was fun. Yeah, that was That lot. was wild. Oh my gosh. And I'm not saying that was like a turning point for them because United had a fabulous season, but it's like, holy hell, like, oh my gosh. I, I mean, I think it was a turning point, but it was that he left. Yes, they went on a streak, and Rashford scored all these. They went, they won True. a bunch of games, and Rashford scored like it felt like almost a goal a game. So he, he, he was. He was Rashford was outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a couple key players left. Obviously, Gundogan was like a huge hit. Like I love him. He is a team captain. He's been there. He was Pep Guardiola's first ever Manchester City signing. So, mm. but this is football. Players move on from every single team. And it is what it is. So while it's sad, it's also a reality. Like you can't have the same team mm -hmm. all the time either. Um, Mares, sure, that is hard to see Mares go. But I think City still has depth. They still have quality. Like I would love to see more Julian Alvarez. I think he's fabulous. Um, you know, we're going to have Kovacic come in. I really like Kovacic. I've seen a, two preseason games and I think he's been outstanding for his first couple matches. So I'm not too worried about, I guess, the players leaving. Um, I think City are still coming into this with a winning mentality again. They just, they want to keep winning. But I wonder if the pressure is going to get to them at some point, mm. sometime. They've won the Premier League many, many years in a row. Just won the treble. How do you come back from that? Holland obviously had an outstanding season scoring record number of goals. Is he going to be able to do the same? So there's that pressure. But I also think these players thrive on pressure it takes okay. a certain player to be in pep system and if you're not ready for it like it, you're not going to be on the team you're not going to play basically and I love that city no matter who you are is all aligned for their one goal you see Calvin Phillips he hardly ever plays but he's there fully committed and I think that's really cool and I think that's what some of these you know top four top six teams all have in common United I think will have a great season um, Mason Mount, obviously going to United. What do you think about that? I'll ask you a question. I really like it. They, they, they've missed, they, 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 they really last year didn't have a lot of midfield depth. And mm -hmm. I mean, he's kind of a cam and like, he can kind of go all, all over the pitch in a lot of ways, but I think they, they just need more depth, more quality in that side. And, um, mm -hmm. now you have Casemiro, you have Ericsson, um, we'll see about, uh, I can't say his name, but the, the Danish guy, Holland or 
don't yeah, know. It's know, not Holland, but it's Rasmus <laughs> something. Yeah. Playing um, it better than me. <laughs> um, and now, and I was, I'm a, you know, I'm a goalie uh, by by trade in uh, footy cool. sevens, but um, I never liked De Gea basically in the past like five years because he hasn't been very good and he gives oh. up um, kind of very untimely uh, mistakes on, on his part. And I think Onana will be interesting. I don't know how good of a shot stopper he is, but um, he definitely can play with the ball, which is like what is part of Eric Ten Hag's system is to have a kind of a sweeper keeper, which is like the way the game is going. Like you can, you can look at city with Ederson, like he's been such an amazing um, just with his feet and, and giving out great crosses and balls uh, to mm-hmm. his uh, defenders and to everyone. Right. So, I, I think they'll be better. Um, I wonder what Champions League does. So I don't know if they necessarily improve in the league. I think Arsenal got better. I don't know if they got much better. Like, I, I do still think that City will probably win the league. I don't know about the Champions League. I feel like Gundogan and Mares is a lot. They didn't really add huge yeah. names. Like, Kovacic is good, but they have a bunch of midfielders anyway. So it kind of... I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know if they added a Holland type, which they probably needed to kind of recoup from losing right, right. Mars and, and Gundogan, but that's just my... No, know. it's a good point. And I mean, defense, I'd love to see Gavardial come in. We're waiting for that news. Oh, I yeah. Think, yeah, I love... I also love Ruben Diaz. I'm very vocal about my love for Ruben Diaz. I think he's the best center back in the entire world. And oh, that's everyone, a hot take. That's and everyone can take. come at me. You can tweet me and I will reply. So. I will say I will say Virgil van Dyke feels like he fell off a cliff. So I, I don't know. He I, is, oh my God. I, and I think that's because of Jordan Pickford because he mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. took his legs out, got him to tear his ACL. So I don't feel he's ever been the same since that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was 2021. I don't know. But, uh, but Ruben I, Diaz, best. Oof. I, yeah. I, I don't know who would be better though. So I, I can't. It's definitely not Harry Maguire. Let me know. Oh God, no. <laughs> Let me know if you come up with somebody for sure. Yeah. Um, I think uh, City, like, it's so hard to get players to come to City. I think Be- really? in the sense of if you come to City, you have to be a big name like Holland or else you will not play. And yeah. will want to play. So if you know you're going to come into Pep's system, you know you're coming into Manchester City who has a very set lineup. Like, you're not going to play over Rodri. You're not going to play over KDB or Holland, Diaz in the back. Like, you're just not. So I think players who are coming in have to understand that role. And no, I, they I think that's, work for their spot. I think that's maybe a, a good point in terms of recruitment is that you can't, unless in Holland's case where they really needed an out and a, out number nine, you, you go to City and it's like, okay, maybe you play 30% of the games. Like, if you're a midfielder, but in the case of, Kovacic um obviously he's a veteran like he's probably not going as much just to like he wasn't starting every game at Chelsea as well right so it's a bit different but um I think that's an interesting point is at a certain point uh you just Mm -hmm. don't have uh, enough people to play at all at once but thanks so much Julia for for taking the time and doing this I really appreciate it anything you want to plug before I let you go sure I think just keep watching football if you want to be a writer or a reporter or anything don't give up and you know I started from I didn't even have a like I played sports but I haven't done sports journalism so it's like this idea of don't give up if you want to do something reach for the stars and 
If you want to check out my work, you can head to my Twitter, which is at Julia Leah Rainey. Um, if you want to check out my TikTok and my Instagram is at Julia Leah Journalism and my link tree, you can see everything there. Awesome. Please send me an email, shoot Alex or I messages. We're happy to chat. Let us know your hot takes about Ruben Diaz. We'll have <laughs> convo, um, but really happy to be here. And whenever you want to chat about anything in the future, I'd happy be happy to be back. Awesome. Uh, I'll definitely uh, get you on the pod when Canada wins the the Women's World Cup in in a month's time from now. There or England or England. I'll, I'll get you on for a reaction. Crying Gold and pod. <laughs> like a happiness crying pod. That's basically yeah. what uh, it'll be. Yeah. Sounds good. It'll be very therapeutic. Exactly. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Julia. And you've been doing amazing coverage at like every single place. Go to Sportsnet. You can find her yahoo 90th minute podcast uh kickback which i've really enjoyed so thanks so much for for taking the time and doing this thank you so much and yeah go canada <laughs>